Amen. Thank you, Kayla. All right, good morning, Transit Church. How's everyone doing? He is risen. Then indeed, amen. Y'all looking sharp. Y'all looking sharp this morning, all right? I don't know about you on the live stream, probably in your PJs. No judgment here. All good. Uh, but hey, if you're here for the first time, I haven't met you yet. Uh, my name is Nick, one of the pastors here. And uh, if you are a first-time guest, we just want, we just want to say welcome. Uh, thank you for choosing to spend your Easter morning here with us at the Transit. We're honored uh, that you would do that. And we'd love to get connected with you. If you are here in person for the first time or on the live stream, make sure to reach out to us. If you're in person, stop by the, the table in the back, fill out a connection card. Uh, so we know that you're here and, and want to get connected with us. And if you're on the live stream, reach out to us on our website via our contact page and email us. So today is Easter Sunday, as y'all know. And uh, what Easter Sunday is all about, man, it's days, uh, today's a day of celebration for the body of Christ, right? Today's a day of great rejoicing, where we fix our gaze off of the circumstances of our lives, and we fix our gaze firmly on our resurrected king, rejoicing in and celebrating everything his death and resurrection has accomplished for us both here and now and forevermore. Amen? So his resurrection changes absolutely everything in our lives, changes the entire trajectory of our lives. This is what C.S. Lewis says. I love this quote. He said, the New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first, events, uh, first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. And he has met and fought and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has been opened. That's a beautiful quote, right? I could just pray and then, you know, send us on our way after that one. Um, but I love that quote, and I love that line that C.S. Lewis says uh, in here. He says, everything is different because of his resurrection. However, if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves in the way uh, we live our lives in kind of the nitty-gritty day-to-day, we often don't seem to live our lives in light of that earth-shattering resurrection reality. And why is that? Why are we so quick to forget and neglect the amazing resurrection realities that we possess in Jesus? Is stated kind of in Colossians 3. So look at Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated, where Christ is, by the way, not in the grave anymore. Hallelujah, the grave is empty. He is risen. And in our union with him, what scripture clearly teaches is we are united with him, Romans 6 says, in his death and also united with him in his resurrection. So his resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection, right? When we look to his death and his resurrection in our union with him, we know that his resurrection from the grave is the first fruits of what's going to happen with us. We have that certainty. As certain as he rose, we will rise with him. And so seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then verse 2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So maybe you've heard this quote before that uh, some people are so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good, right? Anyone here heard that quote before? Meaning essentially this, like if you're a Christian and, and you're consumed with Christ, love and awe and adoration and your gaze is fixed in the heavens that essentially you won't be relevant to the world around you, right? 
And that's completely bogus because what Colossians 3 says is this. It actually flips it and says, some people are so earthly-minded that they're no heavenly. No heavenly good, right? And the encouragement we have in Colossians 3, and this is why we're gathering today, is to, is to get our gaze fixed on our resurrected king. The encouragement today is this, is that since Jesus has risen from the grave, and we in our union with him are raised within, then we are encouraged to seek after and be consumed with and fix our gaze upon and long for that heavenly reality far more than we seek after and are consumed with these earthly realities. Essentially, we're called to keep our chin up towards our resurrected king and not down, focused away from him on all the, the, the brokenness around us. And so the truth of the matter is this, as the calling of God that he's placed upon the church to bring heaven to earth, right? The Lord's prayer on earth as it is in heaven. For us to fulfill that reality, the only way we can uh, bring heaven to earth and be a blessing to the broken world around us is to the extent that we fix our gaze in awe and wonder on what our resurrected king has accomplished for us, Right? Because we can't give something, church, this is, this is why we want to fix our gaze on Jesus, is that we can't give something we don't possess to others. If we don't have the hope of Jesus, if we don't have the peace that he gives us, then how can we give that to those around us? And I think one of the greatest tragedies, particularly in the church, speaking generically, I'm guilty of this at large, but this past year has been, has been wild, right? Like full of chaos and tragedies. Even these past couple of weeks, a ton of just evil happening in our nation. Just, just really con uh, all kind of all-consuming things happening around us that are grabbing our attention. In this past year, I think one of the greatest tragedies that's happened in the church is that we've been so consumed with all the chaos around us that we've taken our gaze off of Jesus, off of our resurrected king, and the resurrection realities we possess in him, and we firmly fix them on all the tragedies and the chaos and the news that we're seeing in social media and politics. And the result is that we've seen this past year, and again, I'm guilty of this, I sit under this, is that uh, we're carrying just as much fear and anxiety and depression as the world around us. Because when we look at what everyone else is looking at, and we behold what everyone else is beholding, we're going to respond the way everyone else is responding. Does that make sense? And I don't think Colossians 3 is telling us to bury our head in the sand, never read the news, and not be civically engaged. It's not, not what it's saying, but let me illustrate this, okay? So it wouldn't be a sermon if I didn't mention my kids, so sorry. Um, but uh, as you know, if you've been to the trans, I got three kids, uh, soon to be five, and then three in, uh, in, in four months. Um, and uh, a couple months ago, my daughter, like, she gets super scared over little things, right? So she was getting babysat, and they were reading uh, <laughs> the parents here, so... I, we forgive you, no big deal. Anyways, the parent who's babysitting my kids said, anyways, they were reading a book on germs, okay? And in the book, the germs were monsters. And this terrified my daughter. Like, freaked her out, okay? Like, 95% of kids that read a book on germs, like, no biggie, like, whatever. And it terrified her so much that that night, she came running down the hallway, screaming, like, bloody murder, that she, and, and came jumping into our bed, just terrified. Had a crazy nightmare. And so, listen, I am a complete softie. Okay, when it comes to my kids being scared, all right? Particularly my little girls, right? I, I, I can play like a fiddle, all right? And so, and, and <laughs> in this moment in particular, I can see that she was so scared. So usually I would go and I would comfort her and, you know, like, like you know, pray over her and, be, and then kind of go back to bed. But this, in this moment, I was like, man, her heart was racing, like, you know, like a thousand beats per minute. And so I crawled in the twin bed with her, right? And so we're all snuggling and everything. And I'm, I'm going there thinking, this is what I'm thinking, I'm thinking, my presence with her is going to comfort her. Like, I, like she's going to see that she's with her daddy, and she's going to sweep, sleep soundly and peacefully and quietly. But the crazy part about it was I was on my side, and she was on her back, and her gaze was still rapidly looking everywhere. She's looking at the ceiling, 
Are the germs there? She's looking in the closet. Germs there. She's looking at the fishbowl tank. Yes, the germs there for sure. You know, she's like, she's looking, she's looking everywhere. Like, where are germs? I'm like, got bad news for germs are everywhere, girl. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And it was so crazy. It was so crazy that that in that moment, everything she possessed in that moment, she had to sweet to sleep soundly, and peacefully, and rest. But the problem was not. Her circumstances, the problem essentially was where her gaze was fixed. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And so that's why scripture calls us, like in that moment, what Kelsey needed was me to take her face and take it off of everything else she was consumed with and say, look, look at daddy. And so today what we're going to be doing, uh, we're going to be looking at all that King Jesus has saved us from and all that he saved us to. And we're going to fix our gaze upon him. We're going to take a moment, stop fixing our gaze, being consumed with everything that's going wrong in the world. And we're going to see that Jesus has saved us from our greatest enemies. Our resurrected king has turned our greatest enemies into defeated foes. When he rose from the grave, sin, death, and the devil completely lost any claim on those who are in Christ Jesus. And because of his resurrection, he went and he ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father where he poured out the Holy Spirit upon us. So now God is with us. Christ is with us. The Spirit of Christ is with and inside and indwells every believer. So he's with us now. He's defeated our enemies. He's presently with us. And he's gone before us. John 14, we're going to conclude with this, to prepare a place for us. Amen? This is what we possess in Christ Jesus. So let me pray, and then we'll dive into everything he has saved us from and everything he has saved us to. So Heavenly Father, we come before you so grateful, Lord Jesus, so grateful. We quiet our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I just, I just invite you to come, Holy Spirit. Through the preaching of your word, would you come and would you open our eyes to see Jesus, who he is, everything he's accomplished for us, what we possess now in him. Holy Spirit, come and chip away at any apathy or any coldness in our hearts. Lord God, break us open in the best way possible with your word, God. Would you lift our chins up for those that are here and full of fear, full of anxiety and worry, and they've been wrestling with depression or maybe condemnation or, or guilt, and they're coming here heavy laden and burdened. Would you lift their eyes, Holy Spirit, to see Jesus? And to hear his refrain on the cross that it is finished. It is finished. So we love you, Lord. I ask the Holy Spirit that you would come and you would have your way with your word and your people. And that you magnify Jesus and that he would increase and I would decrease up here. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, one of the most haunting realities of humanity's existence is the reality of, of death. It's the question that haunts all of us is, is what happens not if I die, but when I die. Who or what? will await me when I transition from this life right to the next. And, and the truth of the matter is this, is that this moment awaits all of us. Nobody gets a free pass from escaping the grip of death. We can do our best to take our gummy vitamins and our drink our kale smoothies to kind of move the ball further down the field, but it won't remove this reality of death and the question of what happens when we die. It won't remove that reality from our future. And one of the crazy things about death is that death is kind of like such a natural part of our world and yet so shockingly unnatural at the same time. 
Whenever we're confronted with death, it always staggers us. It shocks us. It stings us in a way. It grieves us as if it's something that shouldn't happen, as if it's something that shouldn't be a part of our world. And the reason that is is because death is not what God originally intended for his creation. Death is the result of the fall and the curse of sin. If you go to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, in the very first two chapters, you learn in Genesis 1 what God's original intent for humanity was. It says he created man and creation good, and humanity very good. And then he created this garden, this sacred space, where God would dwell in the midst of humanity in perfect peace and union. We were created to know God, be known by him, and love with him, love, love him and dwell with him in perfect peace in paradise forever. That's the garden right? Man and God walking in the cool of the day together. That was God's original intent. No sin, no hatred, no, no, no plagues, right? No, no violence, perfect peace. Uh, the scriptures say shalom, harmony, unity between God and man, and man and man, and, and man with creation, harmony, Shalom. And then if you go to the third chapter, beginning in Genesis 3, you see that something horrific happened. Humanity decided to rebel against God. Uh, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They essentially ripped, if they were walking in the cool of the day with God, they essentially, figuratively speaking, ripped their hands out of his hands and said, not your will be done, our will be done. And scripture calls that sin. When we turn our back from our creator, who has breathed life, into us, and we say, we are God, you're not. And what sin essentially is, is godless self-centeredness. Godless self-centeredness. You created me to know you and to live for you and your glory. You will get none of me and none of my glory. I turn my back on you, and I run away from you. Okay? And what happens in that moment, what happened at that moment in history, in Genesis 3, when humanity turned from God, is that the curse of sin enters the world. And this sin, like a cancer, invades every single aspect of our existence and creation as a whole. So where there was once righteousness, where there was once life and peace, there's now sin and death and hostility between God and man and man with each other. And we all know this to be true, right? Deep in our guts, we know that deep down as we look at the brokenness in our world, that this world is not the way it ought to be, right? We, there's a longing in the heart of every man for eternity, a longing to return to the Garden of Eden where things were once made right. I was walking, <laughs> it was like 30 degrees this week, right? That was crazy. And I was taking a brisk walk, and somebody, as I was walking, I caught a whiff of a fire burning, smoke from their chimney. And the second I caught that fragrance, I almost broke down weeping. Like, no joke, okay? Here's why. My favorite place, paradise on earth for me, is my parents' cabin in the Shenandoah Valley. And whenever I catch that whiff of a fire coming out of a chimney, I immediately go back to this yearning in my soul of rest, of peace, right? And in the same way, that is deep within us. We know this world is broken. We know this world needs redemption. We know that death is not natural. It's a foreign invader to God's creation. And what happens with our sin when we have turned from God and we're under the curse of sin, what Scripture teaches us is that we are all guilty of this. We are all sinners by nature and choice. We all stand condemned before a holy and righteous God that we have turned from him and turned our backs from him. And now what sin brings is separation from the God who created us to be in union and communion and fellowship 
with him. And so why does our sin separate us from God? Because, listen, because a holy, supremely righteous, good God cannot dwell in the midst of evil and sin and wickedness. Holiness? I mean, think of the purity of the holiness of the Trinity, right? We're singing that song today. Holy, holy, holy. The angels in heaven before the throne are saying that around the clock. Holy, holy, holy. Holiness and sin cannot mix. They are oil and water, right? They're oil and water. And so what sin does is it creates this chasm, this impossible separation between a holy God and sinful humanity where he simply can't take on their uncleanliness. Otherwise, he would become unclean. He would lose his status, his holiness, right? It's against his, it would violate his very nature of holiness, right? So in me and my family, I don't know if this is for tr true for you, but if it is, say amen. Anyone here love peanut butter? Amen. Yes. My, my, my household, we'll buy like five-gallon buckets of Jiffy Smooth and like crush that in a day, right? And so my daughters, like, you know, four, four and a half and three, that's one of their favorite snacks. So I'll give them a tablespoon of peanut butter and simple instructions, right, for like a quick meal. Give them simple instructions. Hey, just eat this, okay? <laughs> just eat it, right? And what they do inevitably every time, instead of just eating it, they get all over their hands. They put it on their face like they put on mascara. You know, they got it in their head like they're, you know, it's in their head so their bangs all over here. And uh, like all my door handles are got like a peanut butter under them. It's all over my house. Are you tracking with me? And, uh, and then this happened this week where uh, someone gifted me with some really fresh clothes. Okay, like this, uh, the kindness of their heart. And so I'm rocking it, which is always dangerous at home to be wearing new clothes uh, when you have three kids. Um, they come running from the kitchen. And I love my kids. I would die from, I love them, right? But they come running head to toe, almost covered in peanut butter, and they're about to give me an embrace, and I go, whoa, 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 back it up. Like, I, I love you. I love you. But listen, in my new, in my kind of holy, righteous garb, right, if I were, if you were to hug me and I were to embrace you, I would take on what you have, right? I would lose my righteousness. I would lose my cleanliness if you came, if you came to me in your uncleanliness, right? And that's the way it is with our sin, and it's a far bigger picture. Our sin is a far bigger deal than just mere peanut butter, all right? <laughs> you tracking with me? But that illustrates, that illustrates why there's that chasm, and it also illustrates why God, why God sent and crushed his son, right? God, if God didn't love us, he would have said, just get away from me, you filthy sinners. He didn't do that. He crushed his son. He sent his son, Jesus, because it was gut-wrenching for him. Sin broke his heart. Sin was not his plan. That's why he sent his son to redeem us and rescue us from our sins so that we could be embraced forever in his love. And so this is what happens when sin enters the world and when sin enters the human heart, is that sin separates us from the very source of life. Sin separates us from the author, the creator, the sustainer, and the giver of life itself. And when that happens, you and I die. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin, the consequence of sin is death. And it's like, imagine if you, with your precious iPhone, you know, 18, right? Maybe you got to, you know, for whatever. You got a brand new iPhone. And you only have one charging cord for the rest of your life for that phone. One cord. And imagine that cord gets severed. Completely severed and broken off forever from the source of life. What's going to happen to that phone? It, it, it's going to, depending on how long your battery life is, it is now, it is now because that cord 
has severed, has been severed, and it's been separated from the source and the giver of its life, it is now in a state of dying. It is a state of dying. The battery life every day is just ticking away until one day it will die. It will die, and it's the same for you and I. It's the same for you and I. This is serious. This is so serious, and this is, uh, this is why I want us to focus on what Christ has saved us from. Because once we focus on what we've been saved from, it, it magnifies and beautifies everything we've been saved to, right? Which scripture makes unabashedly clear that until our sin issue is dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ, that we will be eternally separated from the goodness of God in hell forever. Separated from his love and his goodness and his mercy and his kindness. So all that to say, this is our horrific predicament in our sins unless, unless, this is why we're gathered, unless someone comes, the name above all names, the lamb that was slain, unless someone comes and mends that which has been severed and reconciles that which has been separated. And if in our sins we are eternally separated from God, then our biggest need in life is to be forgiven of our sins so that we can be restored back to the source of everlasting life. And this is the great and glorious news that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. This is why we're gathered on Easter Sunday. Jesus Christ has brought to us this restoration back to everlasting life in his death on the cross and his resurrection to new life. Hallelujah. Our sins are gone. They're cleansed. They're forgiven. They no longer have any claim on us. God has, and I'm getting ahead of myself. First Peter 3, I'm going to find out. First Peter 3, 18 says this. First Peter 3, 18 says this, and I'll watch the time, so I'm not here for the next five hours. All right. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Watch this. The righteous for the unrighteous. Why? Why? Why did he die on the cross? Why? That he might connect us back to the source of everlasting life, that he might bring us to perfect peace with God forever, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and resurrecting, being made alive in the spirit. And so what we see here in 1 Peter 3, 18 and throughout the New Testament is that Christ's death on the cross was substitutionary, meaning that his death on the cross was for you. It was for your sins. He died in our place. It says the righteous died in place of, in place of the unrighteous. And so on the cross of Jesus Christ, what we see is that it was the righteous, sinless, spotless Lamb of God who took upon our sin in order to also take upon the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Why? So that we could be forgiven and cleansed of our unrighteousness and restored back to fellowship with God. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6 says this. This was written, this was written centuries before Jesus died and rose again by the prophet Isaiah. And this prophesied what Jesus was going to come to do for the people of God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, we've gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And so what we learn here, church, is that our iniquities, our sins, our self-centeredness, our envy, our covetousness, our lust, our greed, our bitterness, our resentment, our murder, our violence was placed upon Jesus on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he became sin who knew no sin. Why? So that you could become the righteousness of God. You could become 
the righteousness of God. And as our iniquities were laid upon him, what we see in Isaiah 53 is that our iniquities crushed him. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was scourged for our sins. He was put to a brutal, violent death on a cross. Those were our iniquities. That was our cross. That was our punishment that our sins deserved. And church, out of undeserved love for us, Jesus took all of that upon himself. He took all of that upon himself. Why? So that we could be fully, finally forgiven forever, set completely free from the penalty and the power and the presence of our sins for all eternity. This is the great exchange of the gospel and the work that Jesus Christ came to do. His chastisement, his scourging, his being crushed for our sins brought us peace. It brought healing to us. The death of Christ on the cross in our place mends what was broken. It was our sin that severed the cord from the living God and Jesus Christ was severed himself to reconnect you and I back to the presence of our Father forever so that the song that we can sing is there is a place that we love to dwell. And it's the presence of our Father who, who out of love for us purchased you with the blood of his Son. That's how much God loves you. That's how much he loves you. So we now have peace with God. We have confident assurance that every last penny of our debt of sin has been credited to Jesus' account and not ours. His sacrifice was sufficient. Jesus died once for all for your sins and mine, meaning this. It would be unjust of God to try us again for our sins. Are you tracking me? It would be unjust of him to try us again for our sins because Christ's sacrifice for us was sufficient. So our sins are covered. We're good, Transit Church. When we cross from this life to next, we know that our sins are covered. Our name is written in the book of life because we're covered by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. He doesn't count it against us. It's paid. It is finished, Jesus cries out, from the cross. And I love in Christ alone. I would sing it if I knew how to sing. It says this, so on that cross, as Jesus died, oh, let this, oh, man, let this encourage you. The wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, we live. In his death we live. We have peace. We have healing. And there in the ground his body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain. And then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse for all of eternity has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine because I've been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And then this is how we live our lives because of what Jesus has done for us. No guilt, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of our resurrected king in me. Amen? Hallelujah. So all that to say, if you're here today and in Christ Jesus, the worst thing, let this encourage you, the worst thing that could ever happen to you is not going to happen in the future. The worst thing that could ever happen to you happened to you 2,000 years on the cross of Jesus Christ where he bore your sins and your punishment. So the worst thing the worst thing that could ever happen to you is behind you, and what we see in the resurrection of Jesus is that the best 
is yet to come. The best is yet to come. At the cross, Jesus conquered our sin, and, and, and through his resurrection, he conquered death itself. So that the two greatest enemies that would have haunted you and would have haunted me forever have been rendered completely and entirely and finally defeated. Defeated. Done away with. Forever. And so now, instead of eternal death as our inheritance, we have the hope, the promise, the certainty, the guarantee of glory with our resurrected king. So now our song, now our refrain for all of eternity is this. I love 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57 says this. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. In the empty grave, death has been swallowed up. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of, this, of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has purchased our victory. He's purchased our victory. Victory over our greatest enemies of sin and death. Fully and forever won in Christ Jesus. And what this means for us is that we as believers, man, we can... Church, we can face death confidently, boldly, with the certainty that just as Christ rose and went to his Father, we're going to rise and go to our Father as well. What this does for us is, is it turns death to a gain. Death now becomes gain for the believer. That's what Paul says. For me to live is Christ. Christ is now my life. And if I die, death is gain to me. It's gain to me. And so all that to say, Christ, his resurrection, his death and his resurrection means that for those of us who have put their faith and trust in him today is that we've been saved. We've been rescued from our sins and our brokenness and, and the consequence of death. We've been set free from the shackles that once bound us. And the reason that scripture makes crystal clear why Jesus did this is out of love for you and me. Romans 5, 8 says, for God demonstrates you want to know if God is a God of love, you look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 8 makes it crystal clear. God demonstrates, he illustrates, he raises a banner of his love to a sinful humanity. He says, this is the demonstration of my love for you, that while you were still sinners and not searching for me, you were running away from me, that I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you, that you could, that you could have your sins not counted against you, but you could be reconciled and brought back home to me. So this is why Jesus Christ did all this for you, for you and I, is out of love. Because the simple, the simple truth is this, is that where you are is where Jesus wants to be. That's the truth of the gospel. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the redemptive historical thread that is woven throughout the Bible is God's relentless pursuit of dwelling in the midst of humanity. And we're sin, and this is, and this is what Jesus has done for us. We were created to know and abide in and love Jesus, and where sin sought to take you from his grasp, Jesus came running to rescue you from the clutches of sin and death. Because Jesus literally did not want heaven without you. And so he gave his life and rose again so that you could rise again with him and spend eternity in his Father's house forever. Forever. Jesus did this for you. He died, listen, for you. He died 
to, to rescue you back from the clutches of the enemy himself. And he, he died. He literally gave his life so that you could be with him forever. And don't take my word for it. Look at John 14. And I'll wrap up our time with John 14. Jesus says this in the upper room before he's about to go to the cross. It's Thursday. He's in the upper room with his disciples sharing one last meal. And I'll call up the band. And uh, he says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What a great refrain for us today, Transit Church. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Just like what we read in Colossians in the beginning of a sermon. Seek the things that are above, right? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Believe in God. Believe in me. Salvation comes from a shift of focus, from looking at ourselves to fixing our gaze upon Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and trusting that his sacrifice was enough for us. So Jesus says to his disciples, don't be grieved. Believe in me. Believe in what I'm going to accomplish for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen, Transit Church, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. That's the heart of Jesus for everyone who's watching on the live stream, for everyone in this room, is Jesus Christ says is where you are. That's where I want to be also. That's why he died. That's why he rose again, was for this reality. So that forever in your life, you could face, you could face. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Returning to our text, Jesus says this. Says this to you and to me, that where you are is where I want to be also. And so transit family, let's rest in this. Let's fix our gaze on our resurrected king. He's gone before us in his death and his resurrection. Our, our, our sins are forgiven. And he has gone through his resurrection to prepare a place for us so that for all of eternity, where he is, we may be also. This is our glorious inheritance forever. This is our inheritance forever. Thanks be to our resurrected king. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you so grateful, God, that you're God who is compassionate, you're God who's gracious, you're God who's rich and mercy, Lord Jesus. You're the God who saves. You're the God who redeems. You're the God who rescues. You're the God who loves us so much that you would send your one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish eternally separated from God, but would have eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you say in John 11 that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Holy Spirit, I just pray you come upon everyone watching on the live stream and watching uh, and here today in person and that you administer this love of, this of the precious Savior to their hearts right now, Lord Jesus. Minister the love of Jesus to their hearts. And for anyone here who has not tasted and seen your goodness 
and your love and your grace, would you open up their eyes, Holy Spirit, to see you rightly, God? Help them to see their great need for the forgiveness of their sins, God. Right now, Holy Spirit, where they're sitting, unveil it, peel back the blinders. Help them to see their brokenness, their great need for redemption, their great need for rescue. And for anyone here who's never cried out in faith to Jesus to save them, to cleanse them, to forgive them of their sins, cry out today. Salvation from Jesus is a free gift. Our God is not a God who demands that you make your sin right. He took it upon himself to fix your sin issue. He crushed his son so that you wouldn't have to be crushed. Scriptures say that the free gift of salvation has all been paid for in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And just like any gift, what you have to do to receive it is open up your hands and admit that you need it. And so if you've never done that today, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, would you open up your hands and surrender, the hands of your heart, and say, Jesus, I want you, God. I need your forgiveness. I trust that you died on the cross for my sins and rose to new life for my salvation. I put my trust in you and not in myself, and I commit my life to you. I give my life to the one who gave his life for me. Do that today. If you've never done that before, it's the best decision you could ever make in your life. God is a gracious God, a loving God, and we celebrate his death and his resurrection on his behalf, on, on our behalf. So come, Lord Jesus, take your glory in our lives. May we leave here, God. May we leave here singing this last song with hearts full of praise and adoration and wonder at everything we possess because of everything that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. And all God's people said, amen and amen.